One final time this Tuesday afternoon here in the fast lane. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Ed mentioned today's, you know, Fat Tuesday. It's also Galentine's Day if you're a fan of Parks and Rec um, as well. And, you know, a lot of, uh, I don't want to say Galentine's, but, you know, th- these ladies who are, are celebrating probably today is the women's basketball team for Virginia Tech. And uh, they're having a, a good day today as they're on a quite a run right now. And uh, joining us is the voice of the Virginia Tech Lady Hokies is Evan Hughes. Evan, buddy, it's always good to hear from you. Uh, how are you doing? And uh, this is starting to ramp up a big time for you. Obviously, women's basketball in full swing, and then uh, you got baseball coming up very quickly. Thanks so much for having me on, Trey. Hope Ed's doing well. Great to be back on with this wonderful community that you guys serve. Uh, love the show. Big fan. And uh, yeah, it's a busy time of the year for sure. Obviously, uh, next month is the most wonderful time of the year in March Madness, and Tech women's basketball is starting to play some of its best basketball of the season right now, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And then, uh, again, as you mentioned, Tech baseball opening its season against a really good Charlotte squad this weekend on the road. So I, I love crossover season. We have multiple Tech teams in action, and uh, just lucky to be able to document two great teams over the airways for Tech fans. Yeah, you, you touched on it. Uh, with baseball, but let's talk about it. Let's just start with the, the start of the show. It, it's Liz Kitley once again, firmly in the ACC Player of the Year conversation. Um, you know, set to become the three-time ACC Player of the Year. The way it's trending, back-to-back ACC Player of the Week, and it was embodied by her twenty-five and thirteen against uh, on the road against then number three NC State. I mean. It, we're starting to run out of, you know, words to describe her greatness. She's going to come down, you know, she's already maybe the greatest player in program history, but maybe the greatest female athlete to ever play at Virginia Tech the way she's going. Yeah, I think that's, that is totally, totally um, spot on from you there, Trent. I think you've got to make the argument she's one of the greatest Tech basketball players, men or women. Uh, to ever do it. I mean, the numbers she's putting up this year, she's averaging more points per game, more rebounds per game, and a higher free throw percentage than any other year. And she's the reigning two-time ACC player of the year. I think she's firmly in position to become just the third person to ever do it in the history of one of the most storied conferences in all of women's college basketball, the ACC. So I think what's impressed me most about Liz here uh, as of late, too, she just continues to find different ways to add to her game. It is so hard to continue to get better, Trey, when you're putting up a double-double every night. But I, her ability to pass out of double teams when teams put one defender in front of her, one team behind her, she's so quick at getting the ball out of her hand. Um, and, and just when you know when Georgia Amor was hurt for that game, the way that she was able to step up a couple of weeks ago against Clemson. Um, but, she, you know, she's got a little sky hook, and she's just – she goes right at teams, and I think that this team, you know, embodies her confidence and her leadership, and um, it's it's just a treat to watch because you run out of different ways to describe what she can do on the floor. But when she goes for thirty and ten in the ACC, thirty plus ten plus, I mean, those are just numbers. As Kenny Brooks says, you can't, you cannot, um, you know, don't take it for granted is what he says to Tech fans, right? And sometimes you look at the box, like, oh, Liz just had another twenty-five and thirteen. You know, she came up, comes out against NC State, and boom, a couple of quick baskets early, sets the tempo early, and Trey, just teams do not have an answer 
of how to defend her. And when you've got Matilda X starting to knock down the three ball the way she is, Kayla King, and of course Georgia Amor, it truly is pick your poison, and that's a big reason why this team's won seven in a row right now, because Liz Kitley's dominating inside. Uh, Olivia Samuel, Claire Strack have been great compliments to her down low, and Tech's shooting the three ball pretty well here as of late. Yeah, I do want to touch on the emergent of Strack, who was really big in that NC State game and how important that could be down the stretch. But uh, you touched on Liz here. She's averaging 22 points, 11 rebounds. That's ninth and 7th, respectively, in the country, and she's shooting over 50% from the field. So she's not just, you know, putting up points, but she's doing it very efficiently. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have this pairing with George Amor, and it's, you know, truly one of the best duos you know, the country has ever seen. Obviously, uh, we're kind of, you know, rinse, wash, repeat of last year, but, you know, George is playing just as well, 17 points per game, you know, seven assists per game, where I think her passing is really where she's emerged this year, yeah. and it's gone It's gone to what feels like another level. Right now, Georgia Amor is second in the country in assists per game. I believe it's 7.6, and the only person who has more assists and averages more per game is Caitlin Clark, I believe, with 8.2. She's pretty good. Of course, yeah, which is really good. So you're spot on, Trey. Yes, Georgia can score, and she was a huge part in the run to the ACC championship game, the most three-pointers ever in an ACC tournament, the second most three-pointers ever in an NCAA tournament. But I think the part that Georgia does not get enough credit for is her passing ability. I mean, she had one pass on the baseline against NC State where she's fading away out of bounds and just, you know, flings it to the left wing. She even said afterwards she didn't even know if Matilda Eck was there, but she thought she was, and sure enough, she was, and she knocked down a huge three. So I think the other thing, too, when you look at Amor and Kitley, you know, that no, there has not been, uh, in, in the country this year, there has not been a player that has assisted more to a scoring player than Georgia Amor to Liz Kittley. I believe they, that she has assisted Liz over 70 times. Nobody runs a better two-man game than Kenny Brooks and the Hokies with Amor and Kittley. The pick-and-roll action, especially when you know Amor, let's say she dribbles over right wing, she's kind of looking to that left elbow to see if two, if two defenders come to her, bounce pass to Kittley. But if you only bring one defender on Amor and you worry about Kittley at the elbow, that she can blow by you and drive to the rim. So I've... To execute the two-man game the way that they do, the level they do, is beyond impressive. And teams, I mean, I've listened to opposing coaches' press conferences. It's just pick your own poison. You can't take one away because the other can go off for a big night if you focus too heavily on, on one instead of the other. And both named to the uh, Wooden Award midseason um, tournament list. As I was looking at it, I think it's only uh, them and UConn with uh, two representatives on that list, which when you're in the company uh, of uh, the University of Connecticut when it comes to women's basketball, yeah. you're in you're in really good company. And, uh, you know, obviously this is, you know, kind of the the last year of this era, the Liz, you want to call it the Liz and Georgia era of, you know, and, and throw Kayla King in there as well. You, you can't forget her and, you know, her emergence as that, you know, third star or, you know, especially when she can get the three ball going. But uh, looking a little bit to the future, I, I said this, you know, my, one of my takeaways from NC State was the emergence of of Clara Strack and, and as a freshman. And if you're a Virginia Tech fan and you're like, all right, this is great and I, I can't wait to see where this goes, but you want sustained success. Having the emergence of this freshman down the stretch, especially when you play against teams that, you know, like going back to that LSU game in the you know, in the Final Four last year where LSU really used their size very effectively against Virginia Tech. Like, 
having another person they can pair efficiently with Liz on the floor is going to be huge down the stretch. And getting a freshman shows that this program is going to have sustainability. Well, and yes, no doubt. I mean, the future is incredibly bright, and I'll touch on that in just a moment. I think right now the emergence of two players, number one, Olivia Sumiel, the Wake Forest transfer trace, she's only averaging about four points per game, but she's averaging about seven to eight rebounds per game. She's had a couple of double-digit rebound games. She does the dirty work, so to speak. She dives on the floor for loose balls. She gets a couple of tough offensive rebounds. And I think the other impressive part about Clara Strack, who's part of, I think, what could go down as one of the most significant freshman classes in Virginia Tech history with Baker and Suffren, and, um, you know, there's a lot of really good players in this class. Um, but with, with Clara Strack, she's had to learn to play the four all year long, the power forward spot. Remember, she's six foot five, she's a center, and that's a completely different position. She's gotten better and better as the years gone along. I think the high-low passing from the foul line, the low block strack to Kitley or Kitley to Strack has been great. Her length has been terrific. She she comes in it feels like it just puts a big block up within the first couple of seconds. She's on the floor, and then against NC State, a game in which Tech out rebounded the Wolfpack, a very physical team, forty-eight thirty-one, had fifteen offensive rebounds compared to five for the Pack. Claire Strack was ginormous and helping to create second and even at times third-chance opportunities on the very same possession. So I think that's one of the big differences, and not, not to always keep comparing this year's team to last year's team, but Kenny Brooks has a lot of different lineups he can put on the floor. When you get two six-foot-five centers on the floor together, yeah, that is incredibly difficult to defend, and uh, they're calling it the Strack attack, and she is uh, really making a difference when she's on the floor right now, no doubt, Trey. And you know, looking at this this run, and I'm glad you're you're you touched on you know all the contributions they're getting. You, you touched on Eck a little bit. You touched on obviously. I think Wetzel's hit a, hit hit a couple of big shots yep. as well. There, this is this you could argue you know is something that Kenny Brooks is not you know fully experienced where he will run a tight bench in in the big games. This this feels like much much of a deeper team compared to last year where it, it feels like Coach Brooks you know can rely on. More more players, and it's not to take away from last year's team. I mean, you, you're a Final Four team. You have to have a lot of great qualities. But it, it seems that this team might, you know, he, he might be able to uh, be a little bit more, I think, pliable, flexible uh, when it comes to how he uses his teams depending on the matchup. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you mentioned Carly Wenzel and the job that she's done here as of late whether it's King or Amor getting into foul trouble, she's getting better and better as the year's gone along. Um, you know, Karis Baker, someone who's shooting over 50% from the floor, a really good three-point shooter, she's getting better and better as the year's gone along. So, yeah, you know, again, going back to what I was saying, Trey, yes, different lineup combinations. Depend, you know, you look at NC State, that was a team where, uh, or excuse me, Boston College on Sunday, their tallest player six foot three. So what does Virginia Tech do? They didn't shoot the ball well from distance in that game. They put Strack and Kitley on the floor for extended minutes, and they went height. But then there might be some games where, you know, potentially the Duke game tomorrow, uh, excuse me, on Thursday when the Hokies host the Blue Devils, they've got a lot of guards on the floor. So you might even see, you know, Wenzel come in, run the point, move Amor over the two spot. Maybe Kayla King brought, bring the ball. Well, there's, there's just a lot of different ways the Hokies can attack teams this year, which is really cool to see. And then, you know, you were talking earlier about the future. You know, Clara Silva's coming in, who's one of the top players in the country. Lexi Blue, a top 35 recruit from ESPN. So, I just wanted to shout that out, too, because you're right. You know, at the end of this year, uh, you know, an era will end with no Kitley, no King. We'll see what Georgia Amor decides to do. Um, 
But with those two gone, those two have been so impactful to this program. But the future is incredibly bright. And credit Kenny Brooks and his staff for going out and bringing in some of the top talent because they have been fantastic on the recruiting trail. And this team as a whole, you, you touched on it. This is similar to last year where they got hot this time of year, winners of seven straight. Obviously, you look ahead, they have uh, you know big matchup against Notre Dame coming down the stretch. Obviously, they'll play... Um, you, Louisville as well, a couple ranked teams, but uh, you know, sort of a revenge game back in Castle uh, this upcoming week on Thursday against Duke. You know, looking to you know avenge one of their two ACC losses on the year. Um, what what is couple uh, couple quick keys for this game as uh, you know the Hokies look to uh, you know avenge one of those losses? Perimeter defense is going to be very important against Duke. Duke did a great job at getting by Tex guards in the win at Cameron Indoor, getting to the rim, a lot of layups. You'll also remember, though, Trey, this was the game that Georgia Amor got hurt and left in the third quarter. But Tex defense the last seven games has been fantastic. It does not get talked about enough. Even last year, the reason that Tech got to the Final Four last year, yes, they could score. Their, their defense was superb. They were one of the best defensive teams in the country a year ago. They've held their opponents under 70 points each of the last seven games, whether it's been man-to-man or when they went to the 2-3 zone against NC State, and it was fantastic. It shut down Isaiah James. They're going to need to continue to defend at a very high rate. Um, And listen, you know that Duke is going to be a very physical team. You're able to step out knock down some shots and and not let them kind of bully you um, on defense. I I think that's the recipe for success. That's the number one key perimeter defense for Tech to come away with a win against the Blue Devils. And uh, currently slated in the latest bracketology as a four seed, is their goal at this point of the year to keep building on that resume, you know, win the ACC, maybe the regular season title, you know, have a run in the ACC tournament, defend that crown, and just ultimately, ultimately their goal at the end of the day is to once again host the NCAA tournament. Like, no question. As a top four no seed. Question. Yep, and as you mentioned, they're projected as a three today. You know, NC State's still projected as a one, Trey. So you find a way to keep winning games. You know, Louisville's a big game. Notre Dame's a big game. North Carolina for senior day. Duke on Thursday, big game. Even Virginia's playing well to close the regular season in Charlottesville. So you find a way to keep stacking those games together, and then you find a way to make a run at the AC tournament. Like, I think it's on the table that a one seed is still achievable for this team because of the quality of teams that they have left on their schedule. And you mentioned it, being a top four seed, hosting the first and second rounds in Castle is a huge advantage. And if you get through those, you get through those two games, then boom, you got two games and a shot to get to the final four from there. So that's absolutely a huge goal. Castle Coliseum continue to have all these regular season sellouts. It has been unbelievable, and I can only imagine what those crowds are going to look like um, come March Madness time if they can lock up a top four spot. Evan K. Hughes on Twitter. Evan Hughes, the proud voice of Hokies women's basketball and Hokies baseball as I read his Twitter bio right now. So let's let's talk a little bit about baseball. Um, it's that time of year. Baseball is back after, you know, obviously the Super Bowl this past weekend. Opening weekend uh, this weekend for the Hokies uh, in Charlottesville. This is a team that had huge expectations last year, fell short of them, and are, are looking to bounce back. And, you know, in, in my eyes, it starts with this pitching staff. Um, where is the coaching staff on this pitching staff? They're adding a lot of transfers in. 
Um, they actually have no active pitcher that has a start in ACC play. So this is there's a lot of more questions than answers right now when it comes to the Virginia Tech pitching staff. You know, I think they feel extremely confident about this pitching staff. And Trey, this team reminds me a lot of the 2022 team where coming into a year, Griffin Green had never started an ACC game before. And who was this Drew Hackenberg guy? And, um, and then, boom, I mean, they go out and pitching staff was terrific. A couple of names of the pitching side to look out for. Number one, I think Griffin Stig is going to be a big part of the uh, pitching staff this year. He's coming off of a promising end to his freshman season last year. I think he's a guy that you could see in the rotation. Number two, Brady Kurtner turned down being drafted by the New York Mets. I believe he was the 14th or 15th round. He has one of the nastiest breaking balls you'll see in the country. And I think he's someone that you could see potentially start this year or be in the back end of the bullpen. So those are two names to keep an eye on for me. And then we'll see about the, you know, the transfers they brought in, you know, a Jordan Little, uh, a Jordan Vera. There's a lot of pieces uh, for them, and I know I, I think they feel really good about what I think the depth is going to be really good. You know, a Carson Ole. They brought in a lot of um, of grad transfers and guys that have a lot of experience that can start, that can be in the middle relief or be in the back end of the bullpen. And then this offense tray, I think it's going to be really good once again. You return your entire infield. You've got three really good uh, spots at the catcher spot. Henry Cook has a ton of potential. Um, David McCann. And um, and then Garrett Giebel comes back. Oh, I know the pitchers absolutely love throwing to. He's a great defensive arm. Martini is going to draw the headlines. Garrett Michelle had a great, a sensational freshman year last year. Christian Martin might be the most underrated second baseman in all of baseball. And then Clay Grady is just so good defensively. I think he'll take another step forward uh, offensively. And then you return a lot from your outfield as well. So I think this team's going to continue to hit. You're going to see a lot of the sledgehammer. I'm really, really excited about this Tech baseball team. I think a lot of national writers are sleeping on this team, and I hate to compare it to 22, but it does have a similar feel to that team going into the season that 24 has this year. Evan, I think our friendship just embodied your answer there because uh, we are we are in sync because you knew my next questions were going to be about this lineup, and it's truly, in my opinion, you know, you mentioned underrated. It's still one of the best in the country. The long ball will be there. It will be a lot of hammer time. Obviously led by All-American Carson D. Martini. Um, this, this is going to be a lineup where... You know, they are going to produce a lot of runs, but it, it, it's just something in which that, you know, this has kind of been the strength of this team has been the long ball, it's been the lineup, and uh, it, it's still, you know, under John Sheft, and it, it's still there. No doubt about it. I think that they're going to be near the top at home runs. Obviously, Englishville's a great place. You get a ball up into the jet stream, it can carry. But I think this lineup's going to be really potent. And I know they like, you know, Eddie Micheletti, a guy who transfers in uh, that I think could bring a lot. Ben Watson, who was a terrific D3 player, um, was the Coastal Plain Player of the Year two years ago. I think they're going to have a ton of outfield depth. Eddie Isaac, switch hitter, transfer from NC State last year, came along as the season uh, progressed. So there's going to be a lot of experience on this team. You're not going to see a lot of, especially from the offensive side, I mean, there's experience all over this team. I think that experience is really going to help. And I think you're going to see early on Tech play some really good teams, by the way. don't You might look at the schedule and see Charlotte, Stony Brook, and Rhode Island and think, ah, oh, that's not a great schedule. Those are three really good teams, especially Charlotte. is an NCAA tournament team year in, year out. Uh, Stony Brook, very quietly good in the CAA and then Rhode Island before. Um, ACC play gets in there. So 
Um, I'm really excited for the season to start. I know the coaching staff is coming off a great baseball night in Blacksburg event uh, with Roger Clemens over the weekend to kind of kick things off. And, and then we'll be back at English Field uh, next weekend. And can't wait for that, the home opener. I, I was about to ask, did Coach check any uh, any eligibility left on uh, on Rocket? You know, <laughs> did he? Yeah, he, he's got he, he, he's in great shape. I mean, you know, I think he's out of eligibility uh, after winning that national championship in Texas in the eighties. All right. Well, I do want to give a shout out to Comfort Zone Camp uh, as you're a proud supporter there as well. Because I'm I'm going to finish reading your Twitter bio, and it's you know very sad Jets fan. So my last question, I wanted to build you up with Comfort Zone because if I asked you in September, McCole Hartman would catch you know the game winning no. touchdown in the uh-huh. Super Bowl, you would feel really good about it, wouldn't you? I thought the Jets would have won a Super Bowl. Don't bring it up, Trey. It's still a soft subject. It's the sore subject right now for this sad Jets fan. But, yes, I would have thought the Jets would have won the Super Bowl. Well, that was for you and Brian Nolan, uh, the other residential Jets fan that I am friends with in my life. Uh, at Evan K. Hughes on Twitter. Evan, uh, so grateful for your time today in the fast lane. And uh, you keep having fun, uh, you know, with these uh, these fun teams down the stretch. And uh, I know uh, you'll be enjoying the uh, upcoming, you know, final stretch for, for this era of co- uh, women's basketball, baseball season. It's going to be uh, a fun time for you and uh, that iconic voice you have. Uh, you are too kind, my friend. Thanks for shouting out Conversation. Thanks for all that you do. Give my best to Ed and uh, Trey. You're the best. You're a gem, my friend. Thanks for having me. Evan Hughes here in the fast lane, and that will do it tomorrow. Ben Cates joins us on Wednesday. Ed will be back as well. Thank you so much for listening to the fast lane right here on CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg.